You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome Woo! to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. I am your host, Dan Johnson, and today we're going to be talking with a gentleman. His name is Joel Burham, and if that name doesn't sound familiar, maybe you'll know him from his Instagram and YouTube channel, and that's Whitetail Fit. And, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest, I was... I'd been watching this guy for a while and you know, when, when you hear the word influencer, there's, there's automatically uh, a bad taste in your mouth. When you think someone is a, is a, just an influencer, right? That means in my opinion, if someone's an influencer, they really don't have any skills other than what, you know, what they portray their life to be on social media. But after talking with Joel, he is a business owner. He is a videographer. He is a graphic designer. You know, he, he does all the things. He runs an apparel company on top of all of the, the video content that he produces for Whitetail Fit and runs his social media. So um, he it's more than just an influencer. Right. And so I wanted to get him on on the podcast and I wanted to find out who he who he is, what he does, his history, you know, the whole the whole story. And uh, obviously we talk about whitetails, too, man. We talk about bow hunting. We talk about adventure. We talk about life and uh, how he kind of got into this whole space um, where fitness kind of uh, fits into his uh, his life, where deer hunting fits into his life. And then, you know where it all started back in the day on a ranch in Nebraska finding out that he really loved hunting and so today's episode man is just a really really good episode and I have a feeling his story is similar to a lot of other stories that are out there you know it's just someone doesn't really know what to do with their life and then all of a sudden it's boom I like animals. I like deer. I want to hunt deer, uh, you know, and, and here we are, you know, you're able to create a business out of it just like, or it's, it's more of a business. It's a life out of it. Just like what I'm doing right here with the nine finger Chronicles. And so, um, big ups to, to Joel for taking time out of his day to come on and, and talk and share his story. So I uh, really appreciate that. Other than that, man, I'm going to keep this intro short, short because this is a long episode. So I'm just going to crush these, uh, these advertisers real quick and then we'll we'll get into the show first off i want to start with huntworth right now you guys need to go to the huntworth website and take advantage of i believe the sale goes through the 27th or 28th i'm not 100 percent sure but the huntworth sale is going on right now and i believe it's 20 or 30 percent off i'm not 100 percent sure it's a preseason sale they're calling it uh, Black Friday in August, and so take advantage of that. Uh, 
recently I was able to go use the Woodman's Pal and uh, dude, that thing is uh, a menace. I love it. It's heavy duty. You can feel the durability when you're holding it. You can feel uh, that it's made in America. It's sharp. I mean, ask my thumb. It's sharp. I handed it. (laughs) That's a bad transition. But then I handed it to my son. He was able to swing it around. He cleared some uh, camera lanes for me. And uh, man, it, it really is an awesome habitat tool that you should keep in your truck or keep in your bag. Uh, Woodmanspal.com. Uh, this weekend, this past week, and I also set out more code blue rope dopes over my uh, some mock scrapes. I set up some mock scrapes, and I'm hoping that they start to use them. They start to you know lay down scent. They start to you know become accustomed to these sites, and hopefully, what I heard from Troy Pottinger kind of uh, plays out. And so I'm look I'm really looking forward to. Uh, you know, to making making this mock scrape experiment work. Uh, next, vortexoptics.com. Uh, please go and check out the brand new Triumph HD uh, binoculars and take advantage of their VIP warranty. You break it, you bust it, you buy it, or uh, and then you you send it into them, and then they repair it for free, then send, send it back to you. Uh, so go check out all of the optics over at vortexoptics.com. Wasp Archery. Man, you've heard me talk about wasp broadheads for several, several years now. I mean, I've been shooting them for a very long time. Huge fan of them. And then, what else? Uh, Oh, discount code for wasp archery, NFC20. And by the way, NFC20 works for 20% off on both wasp and code blue products. So go to their respective websites, enter the discount code NFC20 and take advantage of 20% off. And last but not least, uh, if you're looking to upgrade to saddle hunting or learn more about saddle hunting, go check out tetherednation.com. That's their website. And uh, check out their new, uh, their their newest, I should say, their newest saddle, the Lockdown. I uh, mean, I'm really looking forward to getting out of that. I've already been practicing my shooting out of it. Um, and I'm really looking forward to putting myself in the right position to slay this upcoming season, man. So, uh, Tethered Wasp, Vortex, Code Blue, Woodman's Pal, and Huntworth. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Please go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, blah, 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 housekeeping stuff. I tell you what, let's just shut it off and let's get into today's episode with Whitetail Fit. Three, two, one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And today, my guest is Joel Burham. Joe, Joel, how you doing? <laughs> how you doing, dude? Doing good, man. How are you doing? I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've kind of been following your story uh, for a while, following you on social and and the YouTube channel and stuff like that. And I must say. I will say this, like, dude, I'm, I'm proud of you. Like, uh, of, I'm, Thank pr- you. I'm proud of where, like where you started and, and where you are now at. And that stuff like that kind of pumps me up, man. Man, dude, that means so much. I really appreciate that. I've been listening to you for a long time and all the way back to the wire, uh, the wired podcast mm-hmm. back in the co-host days and stuff. Are you still co-hosting that? Nope, not anymore. Not anymore, nope. but yeah, just, uh, that's a long time ago. I think we started that. Oh man. I want to say Mark started 
the Wired to Hunt podcast in twenty early twenty fourteen, and my okay. first episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles was October twenty fourteen. So he had like an eight okay. eight or ten month lead on me, uh, but yeah, man, that was and that's a long time yeah. ago. Yeah, when I when so I started my whole deal back in twenty sixteen, and that was one of the first podcasts actually that I kind of like got onto was um your guys's podcast and then the greedy podcast those were kind of a couple podcasts i was like while i was working or whatever i'd throw my earbuds in and and just listen to some deer hunting western hunting any type of hunting podcast i could i've just always been ate up with hunting so yeah that was one of the first ones and i remember you being the co-host on it and stuff and yeah always good sense of humor i loved it you're uh, a nebraska boy nebraska born and raised born and raised down around you know where lincoln nebraska is or omaha yep so i'm down around that area just south of lincoln okay all right man i tell you what uh what's cool about that area and this is from other guys who i uh, know hunt the missouri river right there is there's some really good deer in nebraska Uh, i mean really all over the the state if you can find it but along that Missouri river Valley and even shooting up into some of those other counties, man, I hear good things as far as whitetails are concerned. Yeah, definitely. And especially if you, if you're able to get on, you know, I, I cut my teeth on public land hunting and just knocking on doors. And yeah. it seemed like all the doors I used to knock on back in the day were a little bit easier to gain permission, but they would also give permission to Anybody. like a ton of people. One of my, <laughs> One of, one of my main spots, kid you not, it was 200 acres, and uh, it was a decent piece. Like, it, if, if it was just – if you only had a couple guys on it and, and everybody was kind of working together with it, it could be just a fire spot. Mm-hmm. But um, the landowner let – I knew of 11 other bow hunters and six <laughs> rifles. So that that can give you there's, – there's another element to Nebraska where tags have become so easily – and even for the for the non-residents you know the the non-residents for a long long time they're starting to cut back on a few tags now but for a long time it was two bucks over the counter yep no problem and anybody could gain permission pretty much you know if if somebody wanted to put some footwork in and you still can you can still gain permission just knocking on doors but it's become a lot harder um a lot more leases have been popping up where people are leasing up ground um, you know, and rightfully so to the landowner anyway, it's another source of income for them. So yeah, why not? You know, if you're not going to be, if you're not going to be utilizing it for anything else, they might as well make some, make some money on it. But, um, so knocking on doors, the public land thing really cut my teeth on that. And, and <laughs> anymore, I still can't say that I have a really, really good private spot, but I've just gotten better at really narrowing down exactly yeah. where I want to hunt and exactly what I want to hunt um in the past it's been sorry if you hear my dog <laughs> drinking water in the background my bad that's all right she must be thirsty <laughs> well uh, I tell you what that's the same here I mean in Iowa my and I was I, w- I got good at it I got good mm-hmm. at being able to go knock on the doors in southeast Iowa and because I was a local boy I could gain access to a lot of farms right but slowly over the last dang 23 years 
it's it's a it's a completely new game in Iowa. Like yeah. there's always someone if they're still a resident landowner, they have friends and family who hunt. If they are a non-resident landowner, it's an automatic no. And so the only way that you get an in in Iowa, especially south of Interstate 80, now is knowing somebody or just straight up getting lucky. Like uh, a longtime guy maybe died or passed away. And th- unfortunately, that's a uh, how I got my new farm in Iowa was a guy unfortunately passed away and that farm didn't have a hunter anymore. And just by the grace of God, uh, I got connected with the landowner and he, he lets me be the only hunter there. And so knock on wood on that. But it's getting harder. I mean, it's getting harder. Everybody's saying, hey, we need more hunters. We need more hunters. But Jesus, man, especially in a state like uh, Iowa with very limited public land, it, it's getting hard, man. Yeah, it's, it's getting thin. So then come then come to a state like Nebraska where mm. Iowa, I've got to draw, you know, what is it now, three or four years for a yep. non-resident to draw an egg. So then you come to a state like Nebraska where – non-residents can get two tags over the counter Mm -hmm. it it gets even more saturated you know so and it is funny it's it's you know over the years i started hunting when i was about 12 years old and so from the time i'm 30 now so Mm -hmm. from the time i was 12 to 30 i've seen such uh an evolution in hunting numbers and just access in general and this is across all states Mm -hmm. you know but particularly because i'm so keened into nebraska i've seen it very heavily in nebraska so um you know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing i don't know i'm all for if somebody wants to hunt dude i want them to enjoy my passion just as much as the next guy because i know what it's done for me in my life and stuff so you know i don't want to i don't want to be that guy that's like oh i wish there weren't you know anybody hunting here or whatever but yeah. at the same time or worse there weren't anybody hunting here <laughs> <laughs> no i get it you know? dude I, i'm the same way man i'm the same way uh the, i i really do so recently you mentioned that nebraska cut back on non-resident tags right and for the non especially, especially for mule deer exactly yep out yep. west yep and, and i i 100 agree as someone who would travel to Western Nebraska to try to get access to, you know, the Northwest unit, which is where everybody else wants to go to uh, hunt mule deer, there is, I felt like there was a need for it. The quality, uh, yeah. I mean, you would see four corn mule deer bucks, but you wouldn't see anything of any maturity level, really. I mean, yep. yes, they're out there. You can go, you got to go find them and things like that. But I am a huge advocate for resident rights. And so what, what I mean by that is I feel that the resident hunters of said state should have the ability to voice their opinion and have control in, in how tags are allocated throughout their state. Um, I do. Yeah. And so I also feel like they're paying the taxes. They should get the favor, right? They should, they should get the, um, the favor, but I also think that non-residents have the right to hunt, uh, especially federal ground out west. Um, but I don't feel like I don't feel like you should be able to, uh, un- unless the natural resource 
says and and the studies and the science says hey dude we got a ton of deer out here all welcome you know come get your two buck tags and let's take let's just you know we got to hunting is the way we're going to manage this well sometimes that gets overdone and i really like the steps that nebraska has taken to uh reduce non-resident tags and get like i just feel like there wasn't necessarily any type of balance out there yeah and you know as far as nebraska's concerned i feel like it's 10 15 years coming Mm -hmm. i i feel like this is something we probably should have gone to 10 15 years ago and even even as a resident i wouldn't be opposed to going to a one buck state yep it's 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 just the point now where because there's no antler restriction two tags over the counter your rifle season's in the dead of the rut our rifle Mm -hmm. season starts that second weekend in in november so and for the most part, now in the southeast corner, Nebraska is more like Iowa, more like Missouri in terms of wooded terrain, mm-hmm. and you've got some topography. But if you start going anywhere out past, let's let's even say Hastings, Nebraska, or Kearney, Nebraska, west, yep, that's all open country. Yep. So during the rut with a rifle in open country, that's just like, if it's brown, it's down. If it's yeah. got horns, it's down, you know, and... While I want somebody to have a good experience and shoot what they want to shoot, you kind of end up with this, this, um, oh, mentality of, of like, well, I have two tags. I'll shoot, I'll shoot, you know, I'll shoot a small one, get my meat, and then I'll hold off for a bigger one. Well, the season's only so long. It comes to the end of the season. They see another buck and they shot it because it was a buck. And it was like, well, I mean, the meat on a doe is better anyway, but if that's, if that's the experience they want, I want them to have that experience, but that as a, as a whole, it becomes like a mentality in the state where it's just like, well, I got my buck and it's like, well, it could have lived a little bit longer and we could have seen some better genetics and we could have seen, you know, maybe down the road as a whole better genetics, but like I say, it's a give and take yeah. with somebody to have the opportunity they want to have and also having a healthy deer herd with good numbers, age class, um, all the above. Right. Yeah. But so anyway, so now they're starting to cut back on tags, which again, I'm like all for, I yeah. would, I would love, I'd, I'd like to see even more of it in fact. But so again, back, this has been the dawn of time with Nebraska, but with all of the farming operations that we have, the corn, the beans, the milo, the hay, alfalfa, everything, you run into a lot of the farmers voice their opinions to the state in terms of deprivation because they're like, guys, my corn's getting wrecked. You know, we, we have so many deer on this piece. Well, that's an, that's an isolated piece. That farmer might be farming right along a river bend. And there's so many deer because all the all the deer are bedding in the river bends or, you know, moving to and from. But they have standing corn, yeah. like right there. So yep. they have these massive, massive herds right into the farmers' crops. Well, I think we need to be a lot more selective as a state and saying like this area needs deprivation. This area doesn't. Yeah. You know, we we don't need to give this many tags to this area because it's it's more isolated. There's not as many deer. It's a smaller group of deer. Yep. Uh, smaller in numbers in general when this other spot is just getting overblown with, you know, crop loss and everything else. Yeah. 
And then they kind of look at it as a big picture and just shotgun out. Well, let's do some deprivation in, in the state as a whole. And it's, yep. they do have some certain controlled areas that they do a really good job and take care of. But I think as a, as a whole, we need to really divide up the state, almost like Kansas. Like Kansas has, has really good, um, in my opinion, they've done a really good job of dividing like their units. And this unit might be really, really hard to get a tag in. Even, yeah. you know, you might drop put in several years and not get a tag in that unit, but this unit you can get a tag every year. Yeah. Well, it's because the, the deer density is different, mm-hmm. right? So um, I'd like to see some more of that type of stuff, but we're yeah. moving in the right direction. Right. We're taking the right steps. Dude, so. and that's why I love Iowa. Tag allocation is based, uh, is based off county, uh, not with bucks, but with does. So in Northwest Iowa, there is prime ag ground, right? I mean, you could see for miles standing on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they farm, not all always, but they farm right to the fence line. And so there's not there the cover once the corn comes out, it's just a, the tundra basically, and so right. up, up there there's a there's lower numbers of deer unless you're on the Missouri River um, or some kind of river, and so uh, some of those have no additional doe tags available when you come down to uh, okay. yeah so when you come down to uh, southeast Iowa. There's a number, but they never get filled. So if I wanted to, in the county that my farms are in, I could shoot a doe every single day in that county if I wanted to. Uh, I mean, yep. as much as much as, uh, until the tags run out, and the tags never run out. So it's uh, right. I, I like the way they manage it here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and like I've always said, man, if if we as Nebraska. If we if we adopted a system like Iowa, we'd have some of the best deer in the country. Yep. I mean, we just have we just have the egg for it. We mm-hmm. have the food for it. We have the water for it. We have the, I mean, there's parts of Nebraska that can legitimately produce 180, 200 inch deer mm-hmm. every single year. And there's there's little pockets, but guys are building those properties to be that way, and exactly. they're isolated. Haven't they have a, a thousand plus acre farms? They're able to do that, mm-hmm. but as a whole i th- i think the genetic makeup of nebraska and just the deer herd in general could be extremely yeah. healthy if we adopted it like an iowa mindset with it one thing you mentioned was deprivation tags and this is this is one thing that i've talked to a lot of farmers and i, I was actually in a shields getting my bow set up and a guy comes up to the counter and he goes yeah, unfortunately, we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to shoot some deer off of uh, me and me and my uh, neighborhood of farmers are gonna have to shoot some deer this summer. We're gonna get some deprivation tags and shoot them. And I'm just like, hey man, if you want anybody to come out and shoot deer, uh, I'm, you know, <laughs> hit me up. I'll 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 help with that. I know a lot of kids who would love the opportunity to come out and shoot. Yeah. And his exact words were, well we don't let hunters on our property and I'm, it just doesn't make sense to me. You're going to bitch about this animal destroying your crops, but you don't want any help in managing it. And, and I'm just, I go, and I said, I said, Oh, makes sense. And he kind of caught that tone in my voice and he didn't, we didn't talk after that, but (laughs) I'm just like, just imagine if the issue is deprivation you know, like 
crop damage, but you don't want anybody to go sh- to shoot the deer on your property. Yeah. I've run into that several times in the last 10 or 15 years, man. It, it's, it's, it blows my mind. Yep. Yeah. And it, you know, it's, I think every state kind of has their, their own way of going about things mm-hmm. and trying to, there's, there's a balance, right? Farming is such a mass. I mean, like it's everything to Nebraska. Yep. So hey. they, they have to kind of cover their tail as a state mm-hmm. and be in good graces as a state. So there's a lot of that. I mean, I think they're, they're trying and they're trying some new stuff and they're, I think they're definitely stepping in the right direction. When I, when it came out that this year they were going to, I think they slashed muzzleloader tags like by half mm-hmm. or something like that. And then mule deer tags. I had some buddies in certain units in Nebraska, cause there are still units in Nebraska, but there are certain units in Nebraska that, I had some buddies not draw a mule deer tag and that was like a first forever. Mm-hmm. Like nobody's never not gotten their tag, you know? Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah. then that just tells me in that area, they've done the research and they understand like, Hey, we can't be killing this many mule deer, yeah. you know? So, um, yeah, like I say, it's, it's always a balance. And I think that's always been that way, but it's always yeah. a balance between the ag operations and the hunting and the outdoor and recreation and, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm glad to see Nebraska going the way that they're going with it. Yeah. It's hard to make everybody happy is I mean, it's yeah. just a fact. So, um, <laughs> yep. I kind of want to get into the beginning. Okay. Being Nebraska, right. Or from the Midwest, I feel like people in the Midwest usually have some kind of outdoor because there's just way less to do in the Midwest than yeah. in, on the East coast. Right. I mean, so there wasn't a ton to do in my town except ride bikes and go fishing. Okay. And so my question to you is, did you grow up in an outdoors family? No, actually. So funny enough. So I did grow up on an acreage. So I grew up on six acres. My parents owned six acres and the neighboring property was, um, a farmer that my older brother actually worked for just tending cattle and doing what he can with the egg operations. I think he worked for him when he was like 15, you know? Yeah. And so we knew that farmer, the adjacent landowner to our property, we knew that farmer. So I had his phone number. He knew us by name type deal. And, um, when I was younger, so I was 11 or 12 years old. I think I was 11 years old and I've always been interested in, I mean, way back fishing and everything else so i'd go fishing with my dad my grandpa stuff like that but we'd never done any hunting dad did some bird hunting back when he was in college but nobody in my family um had picked up any type of big game hunting rifle or bow um so that just bird hunting was kind of early in the family but i'd never gone bird hunting um but i was always interested in the outdoors because like you say there's not much to do in the midwest so you spend a lot of time outdoors Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd grow up shooting a BB gun and stuff like that, plinking cans or whatever else. And um, I actually got honed into bow hunting when it was like mid-November. It had to have been mid-November the way that they were chasing. But I remember looking in that back field that's adjacent from, they had the corn cut. And I was looking in that back field adjacent from our house. And not all that far away from the tree line, you know, there's a, what, at that time it was probably like, 110 inch deer but in my head i was like dude that thing's a giant you know and he was out he was running another buck off and he was chasing a doe Mm -hmm. 
And I was like, man, what the heck are they doing running around? I didn't know about the rut. I didn't know about breeding seasons, nothing. Like, why are they doing what they're doing? So I just started kind of looking into deer in general, just the white-tailed deer. Like, what, what is this thing? What's it doing, you know? And uh, that got me down the rabbit hole of watching hunting videos. So I started out watching all the VHS tapes, the old school monster buck stuff, some of Jury Outdoors old school stuff. Um, and I just kind of started like, man, this looks fun. You know, it'd be, yeah. it'd be kind of fun to go and chase these things, you know? So I ended up picking up a bow. I came to my dad and I'm like, Hey, um, if I like pitch in half of it, cause my dad always, it was always like a mentality of like, if you're going to work for it and you have the money for it, you can get whatever you want within reason. Yeah. Right. As a 12 year old. But it's like, if you're going to pay for it, like find your passions, find your hobbies type deal. And, uh, I came to my mom and dad and I'm like, Hey, so I'm thinking like for Christmas, what if there's this bow that I'm looking at? Like it was a youth Alpine micro. I don't know if you'd ever remembered that, mm -mm. uh, brand Alpine, but, um, I was like, there's this bow I'm looking at, like, if I buy half of it, can you guys get the other half for Christmas? I think it was like a couple hundred dollar bow, you know? And they're like, yeah, we could do that. You know, like what's got you interested in stuff. I'm like, Oh man, you know, all those hunting videos and stuff I've been watching. Every time we'd go to Walmart, I'd go straight to the little hunting section and there'd yep. be some type of VHS tape. And yep. I'd be like, I'm buying, it, you know? So I'd be buying all these VHS tapes, watching it, just got interested in that front. And then, so we, I got the bow, got to shooting with it, dude, didn't know anything about archery whatsoever. I grabbed this bow. I knew the draw length had to be somewhere around my face to anchor. So we set the draw length to my face and I think I had it right at 40 pounds, which at the time in Nebraska, Nebraska had a 40 pound legal limit to kill a deer. Yep. So I'm like, you know, I'm, at that time I'm a string bean. I'm like 12 year old kid just trying to rip this bow back that's 40 pounds. <laughs> everything i could have and i was shooting fingers no peep sight a full length walmart arrow which is like 31 inches <laughs> and and a uh and a uh, by the time i got around to hunting i just bought whatever the cheapest broadhead on the shelf was i right. think it was nine dollars for a three pack of like allen broadheads that were just the cheapest of the cheap yep so I got to where I could hit like a block target that was probably 18 by 18, maybe a little bit bigger at 20 yards. Yep. And I'm like, Oh, I'm hitting the target. I can go hunting, you know? Yep. So anyway, that next season started hunting and I ended up, I think I I hunted for, Oh my gosh. All the way until I believe October 9th was the date that I shot and season opened that time is September 15th. And I was just like hunting every day that I could yeah. like every day I'm literally like on our six acres right behind, basically right behind the house where I was hunting. And I'm like, I'm going to try, you know, there'd be deer move through here. I've seen them move through here. And, uh, anyway, had a doe come into 28 yards, big still to this day. I think it's still the biggest body doe I've ever killed, but she came into 28 yards and I'm like, Oh, this is it. You know, I'm doing it. And, uh, ripped it back fingers. Like I say, I'm just lining stuff up. Like, Hopefully this hits where it hits, let it go. And I absolutely pinwheel this doe, just perfect double lung shot. I'd never shot past 20 mm -hmm. and I pinwheel this doe. I didn't have a range finder. I didn't know how I just guessed. I'm like, I think she's a little bit past 20. Mm -hmm. And I just held it high and let it rip pinwheel this doe. And then ever since then I've been just 
completely hooked. I mean, yeah. that was like line and sinker, you know? So, yeah. And then once we found the deer, my dad's kind of scratching his head. Like, what do we do with this thing? You know? like, <laughs> now Didn't we think about that. <laughs> yeah. So we, we went and we went and took it into the check station and got everything, you know, done that way. And then we brought the deer back and we actually hung it up and dad and I just learned how to cut it up. He'd done enough cutting on stuff that he kind of knew yeah. a little bit about what to do. Yeah. But um, we hung it up, cut it up. Mom got all the freezer bags, you know, and we're sticking meat in freezer bags and kind of labeling where we thought it came off the deer, you know, and then we have a freezer full of deer meat. And from then I was just like, from, I mean, as a 12, 13 year old kid, you're like, man, I just provided my whole family with, you know, I filled half the freezer. I I filled half my parents' freezer. Yeah. So I'm like, Oh man, as a kid, you just feel so like I'm the shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're like, dude, I'm, I'm big man on campus now, you know? That's awesome, man. I'll tell you what, your story sounds a lot like mine, man. I got, I got a bow from a garage sale. I got, I want to say six arrows. They were all different with all different broadheads on them, all different field points on them, all different lengths. Some were big aluminum. Some were, uh, Right around then is when carbon started coming out a little bit, yep. and but I think most of them were uh, were aluminum. So I think some of them were even bent. And oh yeah, I I got a bale of hay from my grandpa, and I put a BB gun target on there at about ten yards. It was probably not even ten yards; it was more like ten steps. And above this, of yeah. the six arrows, I probably hit it four times. And I'm just like, I'm ready to go. Like I'm, I'm, I'm killing, I'm deadly, you know? (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. It's amazing. It's amazing. The confidence you have as a kid when you're shooting stuff like that. And now, you know, the technology of bows and I'm like, I'm like a complete nerd when it comes to archery. Like I, I build all my own bows and I just like fine tune detail everything. Mm. And everything is just like, I'm just so obsessed with it. And now it's like now at 40 yards, if I, if I'm missing by inches, I'm like, what's wrong. I'm doing something wrong. Yep. And it's like, as a, as a kid, I couldn't even hit a target at 40 yards. There's no way, no way, you know? So it's amazing. The confidence you have, like you said, I'm hitting a a freaking block target at 20 yards. I'm like, I'm a killer. Let's do it. I can go, you know, all day, all day. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, (laughs) me and my buddy Brent rich, I think he listens to this still. Um, the first time we had to gut a deer and like, we're holding the legs and we're just going in for the first time. I think I poked the stomach the first time and the smell came out and we're like, you know, (laughs) just trying to, I think it took us like an hour to gut this first deer, you know, now it takes Uh, like 10 minutes. Right. And so we're, we're trying to figure out how to do all this. You got to get your hands. I heard, I think you got to get your hands way up there and cut his, you know, his windpipe. And so we're just, we're, it looked like a straight murder scene after we're done. It was, it was gnarly, but you learn. Right. And so, yeah. Oh man. That, that, yeah. That story sounds real familiar. Um, so you, you shoot this first deer you get hype about it. You say to yourself, dude, I love doing this. Like, how did you evolve? Let's say from that point to high school. Okay. So I grew up, so my whole family, so I I have four brothers. So I have three older brothers. I'm sorry, four of us in, in total, three older brothers. 
So, and we were all homeschooled. Mm. Um, so my mom, bless her heart, she's a saint. I wouldn't change it for anything because homeschooling allowed me to spend more time with my, spend more time with my family, spend more time with my mom and dad, get quality time that I cherish now. Mm -hmm. You know, at the time I wasn't really thinking that way. I'm just like, I want to play football. That was my biggest thing was I want to play football. I want to play football. And my parents never held me back from there. Like if you want to, Norris was a school that's close to us, like a public school is close to us. And they were like, if you want to go play football at Norris, you can. Like, by all means, we will sign you up. You can go to Norris through high school, stuff like that. And I was, like, throwing it back and forth. And I was like, well, but I get to hunt the mornings being homeschooled, you know? Yeah. I'm like, well, and but I can I can do my school from this time to this time and still get out in the evening. So, like, I literally tailored my high school around bow hunting. Yeah. Like, I was just like, well, homeschooling makes more sense because I can hunt more. Yeah. That was my whole thing. And I could work. So, like... I started working construction when I was 14. My mom would drive me in and, and I would just work in the shop, you know, do, do little menial tasks, whatever, but it was a job and I was making money. Well, if you're going to be hunting, you got to make some type of money. There's gear to buy whatever else. So I was always working at an early age and just had that mentality and that drive of just wanting to like, this is all I want to do, you know? Yeah. Um, so did you get to play football? No, I never did. Okay. So I went the route of staying homeschooled. So we, we had like homeschool teams, but they were like flag football teams. And I was like, yeah. I wanted to play tackle. It was yep. like, if it wasn't tackle, I wasn't going to play. All or nothing. Yeah. 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 So, um, and you know, bow hunting, bow hunting kind of kept me out of a little bit of trouble. Cause I, I was, I was a pretty social kid. Like high school and stuff i would go out and make friends at every school i had friends at norris i had friends at southwest i had friends at southeast east like if there was a basketball game going on i was gonna go and hang with the friends group at the basketball game if there's a football game i'm gonna go to the football game like Mm -hmm. i was always very social so like that side i never i never missed that side with homeschooling Mm -hmm. like i always had friends everywhere so i was i felt fulfilled in that i was like if football is my only thing like, I'm just going to go hunting. Right. You know, so that's kind of why I stayed that way. But um, so anyway, getting into where I am now with bow hunting and really honing into what I love about it today and have always loved about it um, is just the strategy behind it. Mm-hmm. And why, why are these, it kind of started with day one. Like, why are these deer doing what they're doing? Why are they chasing that doe around? Why is he running that buck off? Like, I just wanted to learn so much more about them. So I just dove deep reading articles, everything I could. And, um, then come into, come into, I'd killed a couple more does after that doe. Uh, and then gosh, what was I 15 or 16? I ended up shooting this buck. And for those of you showing a buck here on the, on the screen, get him in the screen. But he's, uh, for those of you listening and not watching the video version, he's, just a big eight point he was old he was i think he was about five and a half years old um just a stud you know one of those one of those type of deer that this was my first buck so you shoot this as your first buck and you just you're overly obsessed with deer at this point right high 120s high 120s yeah high 120s i think he was right right underneath the 130 mark okay that's a gorgeous eight uh yeah, just a really, really pretty deer. I appreciate that. So he, so this was the deer that like kind of um, turned turned me on to more of the 
more of the pattern and why deer do what they do. Yep. So I shot that deer um, mid to late October on a scrape line. Okay. And how I found them. So I, I had, at that time, I had like the old school trail cameras. You remember the trail cameras with like the massive, I think they were nine volt batteries, something like that. They were like a big fat square battery. A block, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with like two alligator clips. Yep. And you'd hook up with the alligator clips and then it would take like a flash image. Yeah. Well, so this deer, I didn't even know it until after I'd killed him because I wasn't, I just put a trail camera out and I'd kind of check it whenever I had time, whatever. But I didn't even know it until after I killed him. But I had this deer on trail camera in that same tree line. And um, I'd hunted a morning set. I had a stand set not far from where I killed my first doe. Mm -hmm. Had a morning set there, hunted the morning, and then after I got out of the stand, I just I just like, well, I'm gonna go look around and see if there's somewhere else I want to hunt tonight. Just picking out different trees and stuff that look like they can hold a stand in them. So I'm walking this tree line, and I find just rub after rub after rub after rub, and then there's rubs on trees that are like you know, six yeah. inch diameter, good size rubs. And I'm like, man, this must be a big buck. It's got to be a big buck. These are huge rubs. And then I start finding his scrapes. So he was tearing, I mean, he was tearing this tree line up. He probably had, I'll bet he had 50, 60 rubs on this tree line and 15, 20 scrapes just tore up mm. along the it, in a stretch of no more than 200 yards. Mm -hmm. I mean, he just had this thing just tore up. Mm -hmm. So I found the one spot he, he, he has this line that went across a farm outlet. So it was like a transition that they could get a combine from, let's say the tree line runs right down the middle of the field. You've got corn on the right side, corn on the left side. And that at this time it was standing corn on both sides. Yep. And they had a farm outlet that went across the creek. So I'm basically right in the middle of the creek bed. Mm -hmm. So I got right to that farm outlet and he had that scrape and rub line going across the farm outlet into the next field. Nice. So I, I, I literally, I found the only tree right on that corner where that, where that farm outlet started was a massive cottonwood tree. And for those of you who are familiar with Nebraska and cottonwoods, we get big cottonwoods out here. Like we've got yep. some ancient cottonwoods, like huge, huge diameter. Well, you can't hang a stand in some of those cottonwoods. You can't even get a ratchet strap long enough to get it around it. Yep. But I could crawl up. I could kind of weasel my way up into the crotch of this cottonwood. Like where the first crotch started, I was like, man, I could, I could just stand right here. And I'm gonna I'm gonna hunt that buck. I'm just gonna stand right here. And then I kind of got my footing. I'm like, dude, I can't draw a bow in this. Like, I my the footing was so awkward, and I'm kind of crunched up in the crotch of this thing. I'm like, I need to get something in here. So I went back to the house. Literally walked back to the house. I was walking straight out there from the house. Walked back to the house, and uh, I got a circ saw, and I cut down a two by ten piece of wood just some we had laying around from an old deck job or something we were doing cut down a two by 10 piece of wood to maybe 18 inches and I go hike that thing back out there again in the evening and I wedged it in the crotch of that cottonwood and I just crawled myself up and stood on that two by 10 piece of wood I'm only like eight feet off the ground well sure enough come about 
30 minutes before last light, here comes that buck and he's che- checking his scrapes. And um, when I first saw him, he was to the right of me and he was, he was rubbing a tree and I could just see the whole tree shaking. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's him. I didn't know what buck it was. Yeah. Obviously I was just like, Oh my gosh, it's him. It's the buck that's been doing this. all this. Summer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm like, it's him. So he's, he's scraping up this tree and I'm getting my bow ready. And he walks through that, that farm outlet. He was like 18 yards, pull my bow back. And at that time I'd watched enough videos and started to kill enough deer that I knew I'm like, if I need to get him stop and I need that front shoulder forward and I, I need him to stop in place. So I was just like, I mean, I probably screamed it, but I, I did the man to stop him, <laughs> but I'll bet I screamed it at him. I was just so hyped up, you know, hey! Was, hey! You know get him to stop. and he stopped and, and, and I let that bow go and just pinwheeled him. He went like 20 yards and piled up. I mean, oh, just man. picture perfect, as perfect as you could get. And, and that was the deer that really like really turned the page for me on like strategic whitetail hunting yeah and especially trying to hone in on particular deer and and man ever since then i've just been like i said just just obsessed and then i took this thing around i was so happy with him so proud of him i took him around i don't know if you can see there there's like signatures okay on his horn so i i took this deer when i was younger i took him around to like every trade show possible and all these people that I would that I would watch on TV or are on the VHS tapes, like um, all the monster buck stuff. So yeah. like Mike Waddell, Lee Tiffany, uh, Bill Winky, all those guys. I had them all sign this this rack. So I've got I've got Tiffany Lakoski's signature here. I've got Cameron Haynes' signature. I've got Bill Winky's signature. We got Michael Waddell, Nick Munt. And it's so funny because it's like now being in the industry it's like looking back as when i was a kid i was this was just everything you know you know yeah. and it's like now in being in the industry and stuff like some of those guys have become friends at this point and yeah. it's like it's so full, full circle it's yeah. so cool to me that's so. awesome man it, what i really yeah. like is that this is my, one of my favorite parts about having these types of conversations and uh earlier this uh, week I had a conversation. I'm, I'm, I don't know if you know who he is. Maybe you do. Troy Potting, uh, Pottinger. He, uh-uh. he is literally, pro- I, I don't know if he invented it, but from a strategy standpoint, he perfected it. And he is the, what some would say is the master of the mock scrape. And so he told a story about how he was identifying sign and hunting scrape lines and trying to get deer on, you know, on scrape lines and things like that. And, uh, and so it's cool. One of my favorite is when people have these moments where it just clicks in their brain and they can say, holy cow, I need to be doing this or I should give this a try. And then it either fails and they have to go back to the drawing board or in this case it, you succeed. And it just, it, it's just this, positive reinforcement of okay i need to be doing more of this type of hunting yep well after after this buck i went on a scrape line killing spree like after this buck i was like scrapes are everything Mm -hmm. like my whole mind went straight to scrapes are everything yeah so when i would find scrapes i just hone in and like i killed a lot of deer off the ground because a lot of times where the scrape lines were 
they were tight corridors, especially when you have the, the corn still standing mm-hmm. in the field. Those scrape lines would be right up against the cornfield. And there's nowhere to really hang a stand with all this brushy country. There's nowhere really, really to hang a stand and get a shot to the scrape. Mm-hmm. So I would just position, position myself with the right wind and set up just inside the tree line and clear myself a little hole to that scrape to where it's like, I can shoot to that scrape. It's only 10 yards away. I'm literally on the ground 10 yards from this scrape. And I killed several deer off the ground over scrapes, just just tucked in and don't move. Yep. Don't move till they're right on this. Because once they're on the scrape and they're hitting it and they're licking that branch and stuff, they're paying attention to what they're doing. Yeah. So like their their heads in the air and they're licking the branch. That's when you draw your bow. Yep. They're not looking around for you or nothing else. And then I mean, yeah, I just went full ninja mode on scrapes for a while. <laughs> that's that's awesome, man. And and you found you found a niche. You found something you were good at, and you kept doing it. And man, that's that's like me with terrain features. Like one thing that I feel, you know, I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else, but one thing that I feel. I've done right is being able to identify how deer move through terrain and set up in on corners or set up in staging areas or or places that just kind of concentrate deer. And that's where I found my success. And so what that just tells you is that, man, there's so many ways, especially in in all these different environments, right? Where Mm -hmm. obviously where I hunt, there's probably way more, way more uh, tree options uh, to go put a stand yeah. in than what that... well and, and topography exactly like uh, one thing that i've noticed about iowa it's a lot more bluff type country and and or rolling hills ridges yep. benches stuff like that than what most of our farm fields like there's not much rolling topography it's, yeah. it's kind of just flat farm fields yeah 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 so different you know different environments may have a need for different strategies and so I love hearing the stories of like, dude, I just slayed deer off scrape lines or, you know, Hey, I, I, I did this, whatever this is to find success. So that's cool, man. Um, yep. so you went ninja mode on, on scrapes for a while uh, and like, what were some of the biggest, if, if there was any aha moments for you, whether it was like a big aha moment that just happened one time, or if there was a, a set of years where you just consumed deer behavior and what i mean by that is you were able to identify and learn about the whitetail in a lot and how they move through the the landscape in a certain period of time yep so another another aha moment was i killed i killed a good buck he was like 147 I killed him again off the ground there for a while, man, I would just hunt off the ground Mm because I got, I got so good at just figuring out how to do natural ground blinds and set up against a tree where I could still draw to the, to the, you know, to the, I'm a right-handed shooter. So I'd set up to the tree to where I could still get my arm back, but I'm pretty much flat against the tree, Mm -hmm. you know, and I make sure I've got terrain around me and or bushes or limbs or whatever else that I was pretty concealed and so I would just hunt off the ground a lot. And one, one more aha moment was uh, like rut funnels and pinch points. So I had a buck chase a doe. This doe came right down the middle of this funnel. And the buck was right on her tail, ended up shooting the buck. But I was like, after, after that, 
hunt happened, I kind of dissected, like, why were they coming right through this area? Like, what, what was it that led them to this point? Well, there's a creek on the, there's a creek separating with a fence line. So there was a fence line on the far side and a creek on the inside. I shot her just, or shot him just past the creek. So they were between those two, um, I guess, straight lines of travel, if you will, and deer edge animals. So I started in, you know, you read, once you dive so deep into whitetail, it's like you're reading every article in a magazine you can. And when you realize that they're, they're edge animals and you take two edges and then you have two big blocks of wood and narrow those two edges down to creek on one side, fence line on the other. And that buck ran that doe right through the dead center of that 30 yards and shot him. Yeah. And it's like, then I started dissecting more of the rut funnel thing. It's mm-hmm. like, all right, now we're in the time frame of the rut. Where are they going to push these does out of these big blocks of timber? Where are they going to run them so that they feel like they're getting an advantage? Yeah. And those, that's, I really, really started honing in on rut funnels at that point. So then again, I just went on another like, well, now I need to stay near the funnels. Now I need to stay near those pinch points and, and where they're going to funnel through with the straight lines of traffic or the edges of all this different terrain features. So again, still flat country for the most part, but you're taking, you're taking, you're just kind of nitpicking and pulling different uh, aspects of their movement, whether it be fence lines, mm-hmm. creek edge, big block of timber here, big block of timber here and that that all funnels down to that one point and if they're going to go from one block of timber to the next they're probably going to stay on an edge somewhere they you know unless they're looping out chasing a doe in the field they're probably going to run her right through the center of that thing and that's when i was like oh man funnels duh they push them right through the Mm -hmm. funnels so then i started kind of honing in on that right and that lended that definitely lended more to the tree stand game. I started hunting a lot more tree stand setups after that because mm-hmm. it was it was more conducive to the terrain feature to be right on the edge yeah. versus versus being back in the timber like I was. Yeah. I, I used to kind of be, you know, tucked up to where I could get cover and get my terrain feature or, or get my silhouette um, you know, concealed. But then I was like, Well, if I'm gonna hunt these funnels, there's a lot of good trees right on the edge where they're running just on the inside yeah. so yeah uh yeah makes i mean makes a lot of sense man um so how old were you or when did you start spreading your wings and going and trying other you know other states uh other species things like that so i think my first out-of-state hunt probably would have been 20 16 it would have been right right around the time that i started whitetail fit Mm -hmm. um so i started becoming really interested in western hunting specifically for mule deer and elk um but the first out-of-state hunt for one of those western species was it would have been mule deer i believe in utah um but I'd gone and done like Western Nebraska antelope. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had like a little bit of a Western feel, but it was still within my state, but it had that, like that spot and stock Western style. Okay. Now we're chasing an animal on the ground with a bow um, and in open country. So I kind of, I, I was able to kill an antelope out in Western Nebraska and kind of got 
a little bit of a taste for it. And then I was like, well, I want to go, I want to go hunt mule deer up, up in the high country. That was the big thing was to go to the high country. And, uh, so I kind of spread my wings that way and got started in Utah and then started picking up different States for whitetail, uh, Missouri, Oklahoma started hunting those two States pretty religiously. And, um, then I've been to Idaho for elk. I've been to Colorado for elk, New Mexico for elk, um, Utah for mule deer, mule deer multiple times at this point. I was going to put in for a tag this year, but I have so many other hunts like scheduled right now that yeah. mule deer in Utah was going to overlap with, I have a pretty good beat on some, on some nice mule deer in Western Nebraska. Yeah. So I'm like this year in particular, I'm like the high country can wait. I yeah. got some big bucks in Nebraska that I'm chasing. So, um, so yeah, started, started really venturing out out of state around 2016 and man ever since it's just been like burning a hole in my pocketbook because those out-of-state trips are not cheap <laughs> like i mean you gotta you gotta fact everything i've been doing is it either been over the counter or with a buddy who's got some property or whatever else and mm -hmm. it's like with the over-the-counter tag and all your fuel to get out there you know i, I drive a three-quarter ton diesel pickup and it's like Oh my gosh, the amount of fuel, <laughs> the amount of fuel I'm spending on these hunts is just ridiculous. Yeah. But so much fun though, right. so much fun. It become definitely another branch of my passion. Whitetail is my number one. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, it. If there is no other no other game species in the world but whitetail, I'd be satisfied. Yeah. But, I mean, I definitely have branched out, and, and I've got the elk bug. I've got the mule deer bug. I kill. So, have you ever hunted um, coos deer? like uh, down in Arizona I've been invited uh but I never have never made it just because like I'm that guy who burns so many bridges with my family come <laughs> October and November like I'm I'm not a dad like I'm a dad yeah. all the rest of the time full-blown husband full-blown dad but when it's time to go bananas I go bananas and I go bananas for basically a month straight uh, of me yeah. Hey, you know, I, I explained to him, this is the time for me to do it. Anyway, um, I feel like if I went for a week in January to do the rut, the coos deer rut, I, there, there might start to be some problems. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I get it for sure. But man, if you ever do get an opportunity and the, and the wife gives you an okay, mm -hmm. golly, dude, it is, it is, uh, it's so fun because like I came into it. I just did over the counter. I literally, I bought my tag at like, it was like a gas station turned into a pro shop mm -hmm. type deal. Now, now Arizona has, I believe it's a draw system for, or like a first come first serve system for the over the counter units. Mm -hmm. Anyway, got my tag, went down there. I mean, just like, let's find some deer kind of thing. Yeah. And we started just dissecting, dissecting the topographical maps, just like we would any other like mule deer hunt or anything else is like, well, you got a Creek running through here. You know, this is the elevation we think they might be at based off the glassing that we've done, whatever. Anyway, um, about halfway into the hunt, I ended up stalking into a, a coos deer and I shot it with my bow and it ended up going right underneath Boone and Crockett. So it oh, wasn't wow. Boone and Crockett, but it was right under. And the thing that was nuts was when I was in that coos deer's bedroom, there were scrapes everywhere. 
it was just like whitetail hunting. Yeah. Like I was just like, these are just, they literally are just miniature whitetail. Yeah. But they live, they live in a terrain that is conducive more to the mule deer. Like where yeah. they live is just like, why are these things even here? Mm-hmm. But it was so cool. Cause it was just like, man, I feel like I'm hunting Midwest whitetail in an Arizona terrain. Yeah. It, it was, they're much more, um, flighty though. Yeah. Like they're really, really hard to get in close on with a bow. Yeah. Um, I ended up shooting that coos deer at 70 yards. Uh, you just, it's so hard to get in close and, um, pinwheeled it, put a great shot on it, but gosh, those things are, they're so hard to hunt, but they're so rewarding to hunt Yeah. because of everything that's involved with them. So that was another one that I'm like, gosh, dang it. Now I'm going to be spending all this time hunting coos deer. It's like you get the coos deer bug once you kill one. It's like, oh, man, yeah, I, yeah. I gotta just, <laughs> I gotta slow down. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, I, sometimes I feel like I gotta reel it in, but at the at the same time, like, I'm not married. I don't have any kids. I don't know if you see, like, you're in a camper. I bought, yeah, yeah, I bought a camper and I live in this camper full time. So, oh. I mean, it's just like I lend myself to my passions right now because i don't have that obligation of you know what i love a family absolutely you know yeah but it just you know the stars haven't aligned and in in my life and what what god's purpose for me is and so i'm just rolling with the punches man i'm just doing what i gotta do right now and it's it's i i can't complain because i've got i've gotten to do and experience a lot of really cool hunts yeah and uh Man, we got more stacked up for this year, so I'm looking forward to it. So I'll tell you this, man. I love the message because I wish I would have done what you did, okay? And what I mean by that is I spent my entire 20s. I always say it was 11 years of my life where I should have been doing what you're doing. I should have been like – I. I should have been going because I loved hunting, but I just never, mm-hmm. I never took it as a priority. My priority was alcohol. And, uh, and so for 11 years, I, I don't want to say I wasted my time because I don't, I don't like living with regret, but if I was to regret something in my life, it would be the fact that I spent so much time bellied up to bars and trying to make my teeth float from alcohol that I, I feel like I did waste a lot of time when I could have been doing th- uh, th- what you're doing, right? Could have been doing these other experiences. Now, that, that all that period of my life made me who I am today. And so I, right. I, I, I don't believe in like that type of regret. What I will say yeah. is it's much easier for you, right? Or, or not you, but the general you, a person who is unmarried, I dove yeah. in. I I dove into it seriously in 2006, and so I I had been hunting up until that point, and I and that part of my life still overlapped into the alcohol stage of my life. But I will say that it's it's hard to for me. It was really hard to have a family and commit to a passion all within the same same time. So that was, that was the hard part, but you know, you know, it's just part of life, right? I mean, you can't go back in time and and do that stuff. So kudos to you for, 
basically grabbing life by the balls and, and moving forward. I appreciate that, man. It means a lot. And like I say, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, it's funny. I don't really question, like, sometimes I stop and I'm like, man, should I be doing something else? Should I be doing something else? And you just kind of go around with it. But like, I don't know, I'm a believer and I believe in God's path for my life. Mm -hmm. And I believe everything happens for a reason. And I feel like I am in this place for a reason and there's a purpose behind it. So it's like every time that I question myself and question what I'm doing, I just go to prayer and I ask for guidance. I'm like, man, am I doing the right thing? Is this, is chasing this dream the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, cause sometimes I'm conflicted cause you're gone. Like I say, I still, I mean, I'm super close with all my brothers, my parents and stuff. Now I've got a girlfriend that I'm dating. Uh, she actually lives in Minnesota just a complete sweetheart of a gal but we're doing the long distance thing so it's like juggling the long distance now in my heart now i'm like man am i spending too much time doing this hunting stuff but she knew who i was before we even met i mean we literally met on instagram so she like knew she knew what i was already doing and it's like it's like i have i have to realize the balances but i also have to realize what God's purpose for me in life is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's my purpose is like, do something that I'm good at. I mean, good at, I'm not ever going to stand on a pedestal and say like, I'm the best bow hunter there is, Mm -hmm. but I'm decent at bow hunting. And I know what I'm doing because of learned skill over time. Yep. And I, I want to be able to project that to other people and say, Hey, you can do this. You can go bow hunt. You can get a bow. Even if it's just archery, you can go shoot a bow. Like there's something. So I, I've gotten several people into just archery in my friends group who don't, they don't bow hunt at all, but they shoot a bow because it's, it's relaxing mm-hmm. and it takes their, it takes their mind. You can't shoot a bow and be thinking about anything else other than that shot. Yep. And it's like when you, when you can give somebody that outlet, to pull away from life even if it's for 20 minutes flinging arrows down range it's like man that is what i want to be that's what i want to be preaching man if you yeah. can if you can get away yeah. from the hustle and bustle of life for just a little bit get some arrows down range go sit in a deer stand and have a good time man that's that's my yeah. passion so i i, I just want to relay that to others you know yeah absolutely and to all those people out there who you know like are in maybe a position like you where you're still rough, you know, relatively young. Uh, you, you, you don't have any uh, commitments right now as far as children or being married or things like that. You don't have to stick to one place and, and be present there. Is, and I just have to mention this, expectations have to be explained to people. Like, here's where I'm in yeah. at my life. If you do not do this, you cannot blame the other person for getting mad at you if you uh, go and start spending a ton of time hunting, right? You have to set the expectations. Yep. Then it's on them, right? Then they are like, do I want uh, this or not? But expectations yep. are, are so important when it comes to somebody uh, like in a relationship or in uh, yep. a parent, you know, like, hey, listen, I, I, and that's where <laughs> that's where I made it perfectly clear to my wife because my, the girl I was dating before my wife, I didn't make it clear, and it caused problems. Um, it, mm-hmm. The expectation was set on our second 
like the second time that we were even hanging out together. I'm like, I am going to be a hunter. If this is a problem for you, don't move forward. <laughs> yeah, I literally, I literally, so this gal, Alyssa, that I'm dating, uh, I literally had that conversation with her. Like I say, we, we met on social media, so she already kind of knew like what I yep. did. But, I mean, there's a whole nother, like, aspect to the business that is not like everybody gets to see like the hunting side and it's like man it's so cool you get to go on all these hunts and stuff it's like they don't really see like i do i do all my own uh graphic design for hats t-shirts hoodies everything that i sell so i do all my own graphic design i do all my own web design i i anything and everything that is whitetail fit all, all the me meetings all the phone calls all the zoom calls um the business side of the aspect takes up just like a regular job does i mean honestly way more than a regular job does i usually work you know when i'm doing editing and stuff like that for the youtube videos i'm dark to dark on editing in a coffee shop somewhere that you know i'm just like buzzing off caffeine and trying to get the next video out yep and there's a lot of that that's behind the scenes that nobody sees. So if nobody's, if, if somebody's coming into my life relationship aspect, it's like, they don't know that part yet. Yeah. They know, they know that I hunt and that I do these cool stuff, but they don't know how much time is dedicated to Absolutely. the actual business side of it. Yeah. So I had a talk where I kind of like, we just sat down we were sitting in her car and I just explained it. I'm like, first of all, this is my passion. This is, this is what my, I mean, this is, I will die single if it means that I'm going to be pulled away from what I love and and my passions. Now there's compromises, obviously. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole, there's a whole stretch of the year that doesn't involve hunting, you know, but when it comes down to it, it is my, it's my full-time business at this point. So it's, it's what's sustaining, sustaining my, uh, living situation, sustaining my food on my table and I just so happen to love it. So mm-hmm. if you see me loving my job, it's because I actually love it. You yeah. know, it's like it, it 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 is like an expectation that you have to set ahead of time. Yep. And I made sure to set that ahead of time going into the relationship because it was like, this is who I am. This, you're getting a hundred percent Joel if if I'm this way. But if I've got to change and flip the script on what I do and what I love, like. I'll die single. I mean, yeah. it's not because it's poisonous. Nothing man. says I have to be married, you know? Yeah. It's poisonous. Yeah. You will. If, if someone comes in and says to you, Hey, you have to change then. And this is anything in life. I mean, this is any relationship for anything, whether a guy likes bowling or he likes collecting stamps. If somebody gets in the way of that, it, it will cause resentment and resentment, man, yeah. that's a crack in a foundation and it only gets worse over time. And so, Yep. The, the, the thing, I don't know, it, it's, uh, again, expectations and, uh, uh, then yeah. So anyway, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll flip it on that. And I just want to kind of get into, I didn't used to be like, I've always been, you know, like when I got into high school and I got into sports, I've always been a lifter, right? I've always lifted weights. Uh, you know, for the last handful of years of my life, I've really been in on this fitness program. Um, 
I had to take a, a back because of a, a backward step on that because of some injuries to my shoulders and knees. And that's just life, yep. basically life catching up to me. Um, but when did the fitness part of your life come into play? Yeah. So it was after high school, it was after I was graduated. And you know, when you're, when you're 18, you're thinking about girls, you're mm. thinking about like, and this guy's getting this girl. It's like, why is he getting that girl? It's like, well, it, that dude's jacked. You know, he's like, he was, the, he was, he was, he was the football star, you know, he was the, he, you know, so you look at, you look at stuff like that as, as a 17, 18 year old kid. And you're like, well, and I was always pretty small stature. I'm five foot seven. And I like coming out of high school, I weighed 128 pounds, yeah. like dripping wet. So I was, I was like skinny fit, if you will. Like mm -hmm. I had abs, but it's not because I was strong it was just because i was I working was, construction I, I was skinny I no, yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah i had no fat on my bones and i was burning calories like nobody's business and i didn't know what you know a good diet plan would was i didn't even know i'd never worked out to that point mm -hmm. i mean 17 18 years old i'd never gone to a gym yeah um other than like playing pickup basketball at the ymca but nothing like actually you know lifting or doing anything serious with it so when i was 17 18 years old I had a buddy who was into fitness, started going to the gym with him and then started realizing like, man, this is another, this is another like avenue of, of you get exactly what you put into it. Yeah. And that, that has always been my mentality, even as a little kid, like how satisfying is it to learn a new, to learn about the scrape line and kill a buck over a scrape line? Mm -hmm. Well, then you look at the fitness aspect, you learn about fitness, then you start to see gains, you start to see strength increase, you start to you start to feel better about yourself. It's the endorphins. Like you go to the gym, you get a pump on and you literally you're looking in the mirror and it's like with a full blown pump, you look nothing like you actually yeah. look walking around, you know, but you're looking in the mirror and you're like, dude, I'm Hercules, yeah. you know, and it's just it just makes you feel it makes you feel good about yourself. And yeah. I think at that time I was kind of in a stage where I was like, I don't feel good about the way I look. I always was kind of conscious about like, man, I am skinny, yeah. you know, so I started going to the gym and just became obsessed with it, just like bow hunting. Like the sec the second it was like I started realizing some gains and, and seeing things change in my life, I was like. Oh, this is it. Mm -hmm. this, this is another avenue. Right. And it was easy to work in with my other passion because it was like you hunt the morning, whether it be during deer season through archery. Cause I also, I also used to kind of go around and do 3d shoots, archery, 3d shoots and stuff. So if it was between archery shoots, whatever, between work, I could always get a, a workout in somewhere. Mm -hmm. it, it didn't, you know, whether it was morning, evening, midday, whatever, over lunch, I could always get a workout in. So then I started becoming obsessed with the gym and packing my lunches at work. I would pack like, dude, I was eating literally 4,000 calories a day. And the majority of my diet was just whitetail meat, mm -hmm. just venison. I mean, every single day, morning, uh, uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner, I'd be cooking something venison. Mm -hmm. And then if I had a snack or whatever, um, I'd be paying attention to the, the, the calorie intake. So I knew with research, talking to my buddies, whatever, I knew I needed to be like, basically I lived my whole life in a calorie deficit. Mm -hmm. And like up to that point, 
So I knew I needed to be intaking more calories, more protein, at, at least a gram of protein per body, uh, per pound of body weight. So I was like, well, what, what has the most protein in it? Cause I'm still just like a broke coming out of high school kid. It's like, what has the most protein in it that I don't have to go to the store and buy a crazy amount of food and stuff. And it's like, Oh, duh, venison. I've got freezers full of it. Right. You know? So I turned to, I don't know if you've ever seen, I've got a t-shirt that says venison gains on it. Yep. Yep. There's like hashtag venison gain. So that's kind of where that little slogan started for me was literally like I got, I, I built most of my gains in the gym around eating venison, yeah. just eating large, large quantities of, of deer meat. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I started, I started to build a passion in that. And over the years that's transitioned into you know, I, I started with more of a, like a traditional style weightlifting where, where I could gain a lot of weight, um, a little bit quicker and stuff. So I went from like 128 to about 150 pounds in, within the first year I put on, I put on a good amount of mass in the first year. And then you hit like a plateau, like it was a plateau and it's whether you're gaining weight or losing weight we all kind of hit a plateau at some point we hit a point where it's like man you can't seem to you're at 150 pounds but you can't seem to get to 155 anything you're you're eating as much as you can whatever that's when it took it took three years of lifting to get over that hump mm -hmm. to get into the 155 160 and now i just maintain my body weight because like i say i'm still five foot set up I didn't grow any taller, yep. so I'm still five foot seven. My my frame is still a smaller frame, you know. Yep. So my ideal weight for hiking and everything else is between about 162 and 170. Yeah. I've been over 170 before. I've been the high, the most I ever weighed was 174, and at 174 I felt like too heavy. Yep. Like I was I felt sluggish. I couldn't hike nearly as well, especially at the western hunts. I couldn't do the I could still hunt and do the hunt okay, but it wasn't like efficient. Yeah. I just felt heavy. Yep. And so I've kind of tailored all my fitness journey around hunting. So my ideal weight going into season, going into hunting season is about 165. Yeah. Now during the summer, I'll be 170, 172. But come season, I start ramping up more of a high intensity high heart elevated heart rate for a long period of time. So I'll go in and do a workout and keep my, keep my heart rate elevated over the entire workout. So mm -hmm. you're getting that, you're getting that sense of like a high country hunt where, yep. where you've got a pack on your back, you're hiking, you're chasing the elk, your, your heart rate's elevated, whether you want it to be or not, right. you're at elevation. And, um, so I've been tailoring my workouts more. It, I, over time from the time i was 17 18 years old starting lifting to now i'm 30 i've really fine-tuned and dialed my workouts to directly correlate with hunting yeah and even for even for you know the the whitetail fit the way that the way the name came about by the time i started whitetail fit it was 2016 so i was already like deep into my fitness mm -hmm. journey and I loved whitetail hunting and I loved fitness. That's literally how I came up with the name was whitetail fit. Yep. It didn't really have much to do with like, Oh, I need to be fit for whitetail hunting as much. Yeah. 
though there's aspects of it that definitely correlate, especially yeah. if you're doing hanging hunts, public land, hiking in. Yeah. And it just gets your it gets your butt up in the morning. Like you you are more motivated to do things when you're in good shape. Yep. Um so those that aspect, like I say, don't get me wrong, I I know a lot of guys who kill really big deer out of box blinds and they weigh three hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah. But if you want to do the bow hunting thing and and take it to the level that that I like to hunt at, yep. Then fitness definitely plays a role. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I. Unless you're six ten, naked way, but yeah, unless yeah. you're six ten and you're three hundred and fifty pounds, maybe. But if you're six foot, three hundred and fifty pounds, you probably have hypertension and you're gonna die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you need to get your heart checked. Yeah, exactly. Um. You know, yeah. I, I like that because I'll be honest, man, my two favorite things to do are bow hunt and lift. And over yep. the over the course of the last, I want to say when I was about 35-ish, like be, before 35, I would go to the gym. I, I've always lifted, but it's never been serious. It's never been tailored to anything. And then about 35, 35, between 35 and 37 is when... I myself started saying, okay, because I remember in 2014, I went on an elk hunt and all I did was lift weights. I did no cardio. And so I was strong. Oh, no. Yeah, I was strong as shit. We drove 18 hours or 19 hours through the night, got to the trailhead, put my pack on, and started heading up the hill. And within the first mile, I was defeated for the whole week just because I couldn't catch my breath, my heart rate. And so that was a huge learning lesson. And so for me, it's been kind of a lift, 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 and then come right about now, right? I don't have a September hunt this year. So right about now is adding cardio into that, yep. you know, whether that's just a weighted pack hike. That's one of my favorite things to do is, you know, if you're going to go, on a hike or a public land hunt, like when I go to South Dakota or I go to Colorado, why not do the thing that you're going to be doing? And so I put, you know, yeah. I have one of those um, outdoorsman packs. I don't know if you've ever seen those. Yeah. Put that the, the one you can put the plate on. Yep. Put the plates on and yeah. I go hike, you know, I go on a three mile, three and a half mile hike. And that, that by the end of that, your legs are dra drained, your body's tired and to me, it ultimately resembles. It's, it, yeah. Yeah. Yep. What I'm doing. It, it, it simulates, simulates a hunt. Exactly. And that's, that's the biggest thing, just like you touched on. So I'm doing the same thing. So during, during the, um, typically by the end of the season. So after my January Arizona hunt, yeah. I'm back down into the low 160s. I might even be high 150s because I've I've lost so much weight over the hunts mm -hmm. just going hard, mm -hmm. right? And I don't care what anybody says, keeping up with like a truly specific good diet over all of the whitetail hunts it ain't yeah. gonna happen. Yeah, like there's there's a little debbies in my backpack yep. in November. <laughs> yeah, you know? yep, and. Uh, but you end up you end up kind of losing a little bit of muscle mass throughout the year because it's you're just putting attacks on your body going mm -hmm. as hard as I do. And then come January, February, March, April, May, June, 
and about midway through July, I'm pretty much strength training. Yeah. So I'm pretty much doing, um, doing a lot more traditional style bodybuilding and or strength and conditioning, almost, almost like a sports and athletic strength and conditioning program. Yep. And then come towards the end, mid July coming into the hunts. Cause I'll have like, I leave tomorrow actually for uh western nebraska antelope i'm okay. gonna scout a couple days but season opens on the 20th okay so my first my first hunt where i'm gonna be you know needing some cardio is the 20th of august so mid-july i'm switching my entire focus over to high intensity training to where my heart rate is elevated throughout the entirety of the training session yep and I'm, I'm starting the training session with typically right now I'm starting the training sessions with a one to two mile run. Mm -hmm. So like I get that run out and I try, I actually time my runs at the start of every workout and I'm trying to bring those times down with every single workout. So by the time I get to September and I'm going on my elk hunts, I want my runs to be like high six minute six 45 minute runs for a mile which being being five foot seven i have short little legs and i can only run so fast but <laughs> i might have started in the summer with an 850 mile yeah you know what i mean so you're bringing you're bringing that time down closer and closer to season and then mixing in your high intensity training and i i do a lot of um uh, like sled work, I'll do sled pushes, a little bit lighter weight on the sled, not as heavy as I would if I was doing strength and conditioning, but I'll go lighter weight on the sled and I'll, I'm blessed. I've got a really awesome facility here in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's called Kratos. Um, and they, they've supported me with my YouTube journey and stuff like that. They basically gave me a key to the gym and said, go work out, post it sometimes. Yeah. And I'm like, sweet. Yeah. So, um, so I'm blessed in the aspect that I have like a really good um, gym to have my workouts and, and do things very specifically tailored, yep. but I'll, I'll ramp up that high intensity to where at the end of the workout, dude, you're like, you know, you did something, right? you know, and that, that's, that's where it is. You know, you go into the elk hunts and if you haven't experienced that type of pain, if you will, or mm -hmm. that type of that that type of breathing um it does it hits you like a truck because yeah. you're just like oh my gosh i'm here for 10 days these mountains don't give a dang whether i'm in shape or not right they don't care nope. you know and so and i've learned that over time obviously that wasn't day one going into the hunts my first high country hunt i packed like i don't even know how heavy my backpack was but it was like absolutely ridiculous yep took everything and, took everything i took the whole i took the kitchen sink i mean i hiked up there with way too much weight and i was in um i was like 170 172 pounds or so in the morning which was like that's heavy for my frame so I, i'm taking too much weight i'm going into the mountain too heavy and i had like barely any cardio mm -hmm. and it's just like right away i learned just like you were saying with your elk hunt it's like right away you learn Yep. You're like, oh, I need to be training at a high intensity rate and, and I need to be comfortable with that high, that, that elevated heart rate. Yep. And, um, so yeah, it, all, all that coming down into, it goes straight back into hunting. It's like you, you just enjoy the hunt so much more 
when you're not dying. Yeah, exactly. you know, you can, you can actually you can actually sit back and enjoy it. And when you get back to camp, and you know, you're sitting around a campfire and you feel good about what you did that day, and you're not like, dude, everything hurts. Like, yeah. where's the ibuprofen? Where's like, I'm dying. Yep. When you sit back and you just relax and you can reflect reflect on the hunt, you're more you have more of a mental clarity to tackle the next day because mm-hmm. all my all my planning for the next day happens after that day's hunt. Yep. So it's like if you have that mental clarity and you're not just worried about how bad your body hurts, then you can really really hone in and just become a more effective hunter in my opinion. Yep. So that's that's always just like I say, ever since I dove into the the depths of fitness, it's like, man, this correlates so perfectly with hunting yeah. and both are huge passions at this point. So. Yeah. It is, I'm sure, I mean, you've just mentioned you've been there. I mean, I've been there too, where I've, I've had to find a balance to where my weight is specifically with how much muscle that I'm carrying. Cause the more muscle that you carry, the more oxygen it takes to get it to move and work and so you're huffing and puffing at this on the opposite end is i've gone into i man this was south dakota i want to say three years ago i think two years ago maybe i was ultra lean like i i've never been around 200 pounds like i'm like my happy weight is probably where i'm at now somewhere between two uh, 220 and 230, right in that, in that range is where I, I, I'm naturally at any, if I start eating more, I gain, if I started, uh, eating less, like I, I lose. Right. So, yeah, but I went in, I went into, so you've got, you got a fairly balanced metabolism then. Um, so, so like, yeah. I mean, balanced, but if I let, if, if I go overboard, like if I go on a bender where I'm, you know, I, I get ice cream every day or something like that. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Boop, I, I'm, I'm 240 in no time. So I went into uh, uh, that hunt too lean and I was exhausted the entire hunt. Like I, mm-hmm. I was in great shape, but I was in great shape for like an hour. Yeah. But I, I came in too lean, and then after that, like all day, I was struggling. Uh, I was in great yeah. shape. I looked great in a, you know, looked great with my shirt off, but I was, I was not. I didn't have the nutrients in my body, or whatever, yeah. whatever the balance was, was way off on that hunt. Yep, yep. So, um, and that can be kind of related to diet too, in the fact of so your body can burn if you're going in really lean and you're in a calorie deficit, your body's kind of in a, in a state of losing weight. So it's already kind of in like a shock state almost. Yep. So, um, if you're, if you're kind of balancing that out and you start ramping up maybe a little bit more carbohydrates, I'm not scared of carbs. Like there's a lot of people who, who talk about carbohydrates. Well, they're talking about that because they want to be lean. They want to be cut. They want to be shredded that's all fine and well, but like I need, if I'm going to be hiking for that long, I need carbs. Yeah. So I, I, I don't, I don't stray away from carbs, especially during hunting season. Cause I know I need that fuel to burn. Yeah. Cause if, if you're, if you're in a calorie deficit and you're not eating carbs, you do, you feel weak. Yeah. I, I literally I just said it yesterday. Um, I was working so hard. I was just doing, I was doing edits at the coffee shop 
and then I had to go work on my truck. Then I worked on my truck and then I was doing this and doing that, whatever. And I got to the end of the day and I'm like, I had eggs to eat this morning and that was it. Yeah. And it's like 6 PM mm-hmm. and I hadn't eaten anything and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I had a meeting, I had a zoom meeting and I, I got done with a meeting with one of my partners and I'm sitting there. I'm like, dude, why do I, I feel so weak. Like I'm yeah. so tired and I'm like, and then it clicked in my head. I'm like, you didn't stop to eat. You didn't even think to eat. Right. And I was like, oh, duh. I haven't eaten anything all day. And I literally felt like a zombie. Yep. You know, because it's like your body needs fuel throughout the day to, to function. So and it it's just like the hunts. You need to you need to stay after um, a pretty high calorie diet during the hunts because um, one thing that, that my girlfriend got me was this, it's a Garmin 7S. So it's like a, the Phoenix or whatever. Anyway, it tracks your, it tracks your heart rate. It tracks how many ca- calories you're burning throughout the day. I mean, it tracks all sorts of different stuff. You can hook it up and, and do pretty much anything you want. They're crazy. These smartwatches anymore, but it tells me throughout the day, how many calories I've been burning. And it's like, if you know how many calories you're intaking during the day and how many calories you burned, if you're in that calorie deficit, you're in the stages of like long-term calorie deficit, you're going to lose weight. Yep. So, um, if you look at it in that perspective day by day during the hunts and try to keep that balance of calorie, then you're going to have more fuel to burn throughout the day. But, um, I, I definitely feel you. There's you can go into a hunt too lean, yeah. and then you're like, okay, I have good cardio, but like, why am I? I'm just dying. Yeah. I just don't feel good, you know. Yep. Yep. So there is a balance. There's definitely a balance. For yeah, sure. I, I think mine. My, my big problem is I eat so healthy the entire week or or uh, you know training period leading up to the hunt, and then I get to the hunt, and then I'm just crushing a ton of sodium. Uh, in the, you know, all of those, all of those mountain house meals, all of those meals are just loaded with sodium. Um, I'm eating, I I always like to have apples and carrots available too, like at least Mm. in my truck. Um, I will actually pack apples in my back just because after a while of eating protein bars and uh, uh, those mountain house meals, it just help. It just feels so good to eat like fresh fruit. And so yeah. apples are pretty tough. They don't bruise or anything and so that much. And, and so I'll pack an apple a day with me, at least to eat an apple a day. And so yeah. when I go, up, go on those, then my diet is changing just for that week that I'm out there. Yeah. And I had a buddy tell me who he, free, he makes his own meals where it's the same meal like chicken and rice. He'll, you know, he'll up his protein because protein takes longer to burn than a carb does and so he, he will he will bring freeze dry those meals put them in a cooler and then pull them out as they de, you know defrost throughout or put, oh, sure. a, put them yeah. in his um uh cooker God, i can't f- yeah. forget the name you know what the I'm freeze dryer yeah yeah or no the you know when he's out in you know out on oh, his oh, hunt. oh yeah yeah, yeah. He like his cook stove yeah his cook yeah. stove yeah and then he'll warm it up through water and eat it that way and so he's he's and he said that's a big game changer for him and so that's something that i'm interested in doing but the prep for that takes a long time yeah yeah and i think 
you know, if I'm going into a hunt, even if it's just whitetail hunting or just, I mean, literally hunting out of the truck to where you're coming back to the truck every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I spend so many days sleeping out of the back of my truck. So I have a, I have a, uh, have you ever heard of canvas cutter? Yep. Yep. So, yep. So I've got one of those, the canvas cutter dominator bedroll. Okay. And I'll lay that in the back of my truck and dude, I, I spend, I don't know how many nights in my truck, but it's a lot. Like the majority of the four months of hunting I spend in the back of my truck, but that lends itself to eating out of a cooler most of the time or eating at a restaurant that's on the way to the next spot or whatever else. I'll, I'll start like right now. I'm not, I'm not on some crazy strict diet. Now I will say I cut out a lot of sugars. Ice cream is a weakness, but that's like minimize it to an absolute minimum. No soda whatsoever. Don't like process anymore. Yep. Processed sugars are out the window. Try and stay away from candy. Try and stay away from anything with that processed sugar makeup. But like if I'm on the road and I want to stop and get a cheeseburger, I'm going to stop and get a cheeseburger because that's probably what I'm going to be eating during the hunts. Yeah. Even though I'm doing a higher heart rate, you know, uh, cardio intensive style training, I'm still tailoring my diet towards like, what am I going to be eating throughout the year? And it's kind of that, you know, it's not the most lean diet, but it's also not the worst diet. You're getting protein and you're getting carbs and you're going to burn it anyway on the hunts. Yeah. So I, I, I guess during hunting season, I don't care about what I look like. I care about how I feel. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Same, same. And I'm married with three kids. So I even don't give a shit what I look like most of the time. (laughs) So I love it. Hey, Joel, dude, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day, uh, to fill us in on, on your journey and, and everything that you've been doing and, and, uh, making time to come on the podcast, man. So I, I, I know there's so much more we could talk about. I appreciate, uh, the, uh, you taking time and, uh, congratulations on the track that you're on and good luck on your hunts this year man man thank you so much i appreciate you having me on it was fun we'll do a we'll do a follow follow up podcast maybe after season or something ladies and gentlemen that brings us to the end of another episode huge shout out to joel man really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on huge shout out to each and every one of you who have taken time out of your day to listen and download and share and subscribe to the nine finger chronicles on the sportsman's empire podcast network and last but not least huge shout out to tethered wasp vortex code blue woodman's pal and huntworth Uh, Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Go to iTunes, leave a five-star review. Let everybody know how badass the Nine Finger Chronicles is. And, uh, man, just go out and start listening to all of the other podcasts on the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. Man, really appreciate it. Uh, Man, it's all about good vibes, man. Good vibes in, good vibes out. And we will talk to you next time. Thank you.